Welcome to the IAH Podcast, where we profile current and former fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In Episode 3, IAH Public Communications Specialist Melissa Clay speaks with music professor and jazz studies director Jim Ketch, the first endowed faculty fellow here at the Institute for the Arts and Humanities in 1992. Professor Ketch discusses his current work demonstrating how professors might use their fellowship experience to enrich their teaching, research, and service within the UNC community and beyond. Tell me what you're working on now. And um, you, I, I looked into uh, your, your sort of history and working classical and jazz and popular music sure, and sure. Uh, teaching on all levels, high school, yes, high, college, right, and, right. And, um, and you're about to coach an ensemble. So yes, just yes. tell me a little bit about Well, what um, you know, I continue to do stuff that I've done. This is my 39th year mm-hmm. at UNC, and I continue to do many of the, of the types of things I'm just so much better at it now than when I started. Uh, and we hope that we can all say that. Part of it is, is just experience is, is a great teacher. Um, but I've been, I've been afforded some wonderful opportunities. I, uh, I'm the associate director of a, a program at the Savannah Music Festival each year called Swing Central Jazz. The director is the famed uh, international jazz pianist Marcus Roberts, who's blind. And uh, I'm the associate director, so he and I have spent quite a bit of time fashioning a program that invites 12 of the most premier high school jazz ensembles in the country to Savannah for a weekend. And um, Marcus and and the leadership of the Savannah Music Festival will bring in literally 20 professional jazz musicians for a very intensive four-day period that happens in late March, early April um, each year. So for each of those years, I guess we're now in our 11th year of that, something of that nature, I'll have to check, but I think somewhere around 10 or 11 years, I'm getting a chance to rub shoulders with Jason Marcellus, Wycliffe Gordon, Marcus Roberts, uh, John Quayton, Christian McBride, all these you know, incredibly um, gifted touring artists who are quite the good educators but you don't think of them as that because they're on the, the spotlight. <laughs> and what's really emerged from that, thanks, I think, very much to Marcus Roberts, is I think I've also been able to show those colleagues what a professional educator also looks like. Now, I take my trumpet. I play in the groups. I get <laughs> to play with these guys and be on stage with them and, and all that. But I'm often asked to lead a clinic session or you know, to be the first director of one of the high school groups or something of that nature. And uh, quietly over the years, you know, I found out how much the professionals are watching and observing what I do. So I guess it's a nice affirmation that uh, it's good to rub shoulders with folks that are on the international stage, and they feel like it's good to rub shoulders with somebody who's in the classroom five days a week, working on ways of breaking down information into, you know, digestible chunks mm-hmm. that can be disseminated to gifted players, not so gifted players, brand new practitioners who are just starting to learn those types of things. So and then hearing those guys talk and get to the point about something on the bass or the drums or the guitar, well it feels like it's um you know, somebody <laughs> I'm the president of a nonprofit foundation. Well I don't have an MBA. 
uh, you know, but you like to be in the company of other people on a board who have different experiences. And before long, you're, you're, you're feeling that you're learning something about other professions that make you just simply a little bit more astute, a little quicker in making good, solid judgments, and so on and so forth. So that's the, those programs are, are very important to me. Um, I'm actually, and I've been sort of working at this for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, trying to sort of write a book on, you know, sort of the young player developing improvisational skills. Um, I feel like 39 years in the classroom, having taught uh, jazz improvisation courses for probably about 15 of those years, um, there are a lot of textbooks that are very good in providing the information, but the magic occurs really in sort of interpreting that information and how do I package it? With what examples do I package that information? How might a demonstration on my own trumpet for the students illuminate what, I, what I'm trying to get? And um, I teach at a, a summer jazz camp that's all about improvisation each summer at the University of Louisville for two weeks. And um, we have adult learners. I've had students who are over 80 years of age in a group that I'm coaching. And I've also had... Uh, a middle school student in the group. So you might have a sixth grader and an 83-year-old in the same group. And they each, they have about the same level of expertise. Mm-hmm. Now, the 83-year-old has discernment powers, perhaps, that, that the you know, young one won't have. But the, you know, they're both sort of new to this language. And obviously, the way you would speak to one would not be appropriate for the other. So you know, I feel like I'm in a lot of incubators. This gives me a lot of... Um, sort of improvisational skills, you know, entrepreneurial skills in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel comfortable being sort of on the spot in, in that type of situation, uh, developing those things. And so my thought that I, I've got is I'd like to do something basically for my instrument, the trumpet, mm-hmm. uh, because I've done probably a dozen all-state high school jazz bands. So I go to New Hampshire, and they've assembled their best students, and I get to work with them for a weekend, mm-hmm. or Nebraska, or Louisiana. I go to Florida uh, in December to do one of these types of things. And um, it's always interesting. I'll say, hey, I've got this tune here. It's a blues. Who would like to solo on it? Every saxophonist raises their hand. The piano raises their hand. The guitarist raises their hand. Maybe one of the trombones or one of the trumpets will sheepishly raise their hand in the back. And I'm asking myself the question, as a brass player, as a trumpeter, Mm -hmm. now why is this? What is the hot stove that they're so afraid of touching here? You know, and it just, for some reason, you know, the physical nature, the difficulty of actually your whips producing all the sounds uh, on the brass, I think kind of slows our technical development down. And um, the saxophone, you know, my saxophone friends would say, oh, that's that's terrible. But I think you'll find that kids after six months of playing saxophone have five, six, ten times more technique than a trumpeter who's still struggling to produce the pitch, to get the notes. So they just get into whatever, the jet stream a little faster. <laughs> they're hearing sounds on the radio and they're hey, wait a minute, I think I can maybe do that. Well, all those are the steps towards becoming kind of a thinking, improvising musician. So... I'm thinking, I want to write a book that could take a high school student, freshman in high school, through, let's say, their senior year in college. You know, what if they go to a college and the trumpet teacher there is totally classical and has never 
played jazz and looks at jazz as a hot stove. Can I write a book that that person said, well, if I had this book, I, I could have done it myself. Let's you and I work on this together mm-hmm. in the lesson. So part of it is I'm not reinventing chords and scales. They're still the same. It's really how I'm going to go about saying I found this to be valuable. If I do a little work on ear training, if I do a little work on this, here's some drills that I think are nice. Here's some ways to apply those drills. I've even gone to the point where I'm writing out sample solos that they can play. So if they're better at reading and then hearing how those chords and scales get reordered into melodies, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, and then, you know, I'm supposed to say, now listen here, here's what I'm doing, A, B, C, and then there's some examples. So um, it's taken a little time. You know, I have hundreds of pages of of stuff. Now i got to just figure out say something and put it in the book and, and, and get it done. And if it's not quite complete, write a second one right, rather right. than, you know, if I wait until uh, the perfect book is written, maybe it'll be, uh, you know, too late to have much of an impact with it. So that's a project that I would dearly love to, uh, to finish. And, uh, you know, hopefully maybe by the end of the summer I could. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, well, I thank you so much. This has been really, really helpful. Um, thank you for your time. You're and, most uh, welcome. Be sure to visit the Institute's website at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. Check out past and future episodes of this podcast on our website or subscribe to the IAH podcast on iTunes to download episodes automatically to your computer or mobile device. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.